0: Welcome to the Learning Shared podcast. So Learning Shared is a space for anyone with an interest in supporting the needs of vulnerable learners in our society, including those with special educational needs and disabilities. We'll be hearing from and talking with a wide range of colleagues and stakeholders, including teachers, specialist practitioners, school leaders, researchers, as well as parents and carers be sharing creative inspiring ideas effective practice and things they've learned along their journey with that in mind please get in touch if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode or if you'd like to be involved in any way you can visit us at www.learningshared.org or tweet us at underscore learningshared. The Learning Share podcast is brought to you by Evidence for Learning and the EFL Send community. This is a growing community of teachers, practitioners, school leaders, researchers and academics that support children, young people and adults with special educational needs and disabilities, or indeed any form of additional learning needs. You can find out more about the EFL Send community and Evidence for Learning at www.evidenceforlearning.net. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, this episode hosted by Professor Barry Carpenter introduces Vicky Wells, who is the National Manager at the Youth Sport Trust as well as an ex-teacher. During the episode, Vicky provides a presentation and if you're listening to the audio-only version of the episode, there's a link to a video of Vicky's presentation on the Learning Shared website at www.learningshared.org and if you select episode 22 you'll be able to watch and listen to the slideshow On the episode page we've also included a copy of Vicky's presentation a downloadable guide about sports sanctuaries and links to further information
1: Welcome to this next in the podcast series, Evidence for Learning. I'm Professor Barry Carpenter, and I'll be hosting today's presentation. We're about to hear from Victoria Wells. Vicky is the National Manager for the Youth Sports Trust, and her particular focus is targeted interventions. In the past, she has held roles around special educational needs. She herself comes from a background in teaching physical education one of the new initiatives from the youth sports trust is active recovery a very timely national program supported by so many sports organizations throughout the united kingdom so welcome vicky it's good to have you with us
2: thank you thank you very
1: just to set the scene uh, and not steal the thunder of your presentation, there's obviously a lot of concern uh, at the moment about the the mental health and emotional well-being of our children and young people. That There has been a rapid erosion of the mental health status of our children during the pandemic period, and we, we now have national statistics around that. Um, and the literature has always expressed the link between mental health and physical health. In what way do you think this active recovery programme at this point in time contributes to that sort of thinking?
2: Really fair point, Barry. And actually, as you say, there's been so much research that has been shared during this period around young people's mental distress, the um, reduction in perhaps stamina and physical fitness, and also from young people themselves talking about the lack of social connectedness, that ability to connect with one another through shared experiences. So for me, the, the concept of the active recovery is really calling upon our schools, our educators to really consider the role being outdoors, playing, having fun, all of those elements in terms of helping connect and support our young people as they start to adjust to life um, during and post obviously a global pandemic.
1: Yes, yes. And you're right there to point out about stamina, um, Ofsted pointed that out from, from their uh, observations of 900 schools and, and linked it with resilience and obviously emotional resilience is in that domain of, of promoting mental well-being uh, as the new relationships, health and sex education curriculum is, is also underscoring. So Vicky, it's with great pleasure, I invite you to make your presentation to us, thank you.
2: Lovely. Thank you so much, Barry, and wonderful to be invited to be able to share some of this thinking with you all this afternoon and today. So just a little bit about uh, Youth Sport Trust and myself. Um, we are a UK charity. We're very much about improving well-being through the use of sport and PE. I'm really looking at how we empower young people and equip educators to ensure that together we're transforming lives through sport and PE. So in terms of this session um, that I'm going to talk to you about, it's very much looking at that concept of active recovery that Barry's just outlined for us um, in his introduction. And again, one of the things that I really want to highlight as we start to explore this concept is that every single child and young person will have had their own unique, personal and lived in experience during this global pandemic. And as as Farrah, you've highlighted explicitly in the think piece around the recovery curriculum, what we also know is young people have experienced losses, whether that be to routines, structures, friendships, opportunities and freedoms. And actually, the way that active recovery has almost been introduced as a as a way to address some of those losses, to again really ensure that we can support our young people as they return to school, so they don't feel unsafe or, or insecure. Because again, you know, to to quote yourself, Professor Carpenter, you know, an anxious child we know is not in a place to learn effectively. And I mentioned at the start there around some of the research from Ofsted as part of their school visits just before Christmas. You know, very clearly stating that some of our young people have lost stamina, they've lost physical fitness, and actually have shown quite considerable signs of mental distress as well. And this is very supported with some really recent research actually that's come out this month, so in May 2021. So the Schools Active Movement commissioned a survey which really looked at over two and a half thousand schools and actually asked teachers to share how had children and young people returned After the lockdown, certainly between that January and March national lockdown that we had and really quite startling are some of the the findings from that that actually talk about physical fitness either worsening um, a little bit or considerably. And then also really crucially, people's general well-being, again, significantly high proportions of young people returning with with that general well-being being far lower and more negative than it was prior to the, the lockdown. And really interesting, when you get into some of the detail behind this research, it actually shows that children in urban communities were more likely to have been impacted on than those in rural areas surrounded by open space. And one of the areas I'm going to also share with you throughout this session is the concept of a sports sanctuary as part of an active recovery. So really um, intentional to remind ourselves of that difference, the physical space the environment can have. For our young people's well-being. So why active recovery? Again just this week I was reading the survey from the Save the Children poll and this for me has really resonated. It's, it, it's really quite heartbreaking when we take a moment to reflect on this. So actually nine in ten children have shared that they feel the way they play has changed since the pandemic. Over half of children have said they're playing outside with their friends less and actually, a third of children are sharing the playing alone more. So for me, there has never been a time um, more critical when we start to think about the role that play, PE, school sport, physical activity, all of those things in terms of how we help support our young people in terms of their active recovery as they start to adjust to life post the global pandemic. Because what we do know, um, and this again has come through from research this year, is that through the Sport England Active Lives data, very explicitly reveals that if you are active, active children are happier, more confident, resilient and actually more trusting than their less active peers. So some really good research that, again, is grounded in this concept in terms of why would um, schools prioritise an active recovery for their pupils? Because what we do know, colleagues, is that actually physical activity is critical and crucial to the way we think and feel. It can affect our mood. It can affect our anxiety and our attention and actually can guard against stress. And that quote um, that I've just shared with you is lifted from Professor Ratey, author of the book Spark. At Harvard University. So again, for listeners on the call that are perhaps quite interested in the role physical activity can have in terms of engagement and the ability to learn and those neurological um, kind of effects, really, really would recommend that book in terms of having a look at that and exploring that further. So we do have the evidence behind this in terms of why active recovery. We know that actually if we are able to increase participation in daily physical activity, help reduce some of that sitting time for our young people, it can lead to improved physical, social, emotional well-being and actually can also result in improved attendance at school. We know healthier children are more likely to attend school um, and also lead to significant improved behaviour and cognition, which ultimately can also ensure it leads to increased progress and achievement as well. And uh, I guess um, something that I'd like to share with you is that almost a call to action in terms of this is something that that really resonates with you in whatever role that you have within the sector. The Active Recovery Hub that has launched um, quite recently. Again, if you go on to yourschoolgames.com or just Google Active Recovery, this will direct you. Um, It's a wonderful hub where As Barry has said at the start, national governing bodies of sport, youth sport uh, organisations, national disability sport organisations have all come together to craft really intentional content. So a school can go on and really quickly search for perhaps the setting that they're from, the age group of children that they're teaching. And actually, if you've only got five minutes, you can filter by five minutes and a whole array of activities will come up for you. to again, just give you something at your fingertips that you can introduce to your children and young people. It might be you want to look for lunchtime ideas or even active travel ideas as children are commuting to and from school. So, again, hopefully a, a really useful tool that will support schools across the country during this time. Because what we do know, and in terms of the impacts and the negative impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, is we, it's had such a devastating impact, not only on the social, but also the emotional well being of our children. And we know that can cause high levels of mental distress. And what is wonderful, and again, um, you know, Barry, in terms of something that you've absolutely advocated, is that this active recovery can offer a really positive and proactive route to recovery, building physical fitness, stamina, and social skills for our children and young people. So I want to take you on a bit of a journey now. Hopefully that's set the scene a little bit in terms of why active recovery, but also some of the the what piece in terms of what schools can go away and do and and action as a result of, um, of hearing about this today. I'd like to now take you on a bit of a journey from a concept that I guess, was sparked by reading the think piece around the recovery curriculum, obviously drafted by yourself, Barry, and and some Matthew there. And it very much for me was that think piece. It sparked some um, thinking, some ideas. And actually then from conversations I was then able to have with senior leaders in schools and uh, practitioners, it really made me start to reflect on the question. Well, what is it that our subject, what is it about sport, that could really help our young people at this moment in time and hopefully going forward as well in terms of that longer term thinking. And I started to reflect on the idea of a sport sanctuary. And I'm going to just share a little bit with you today around how that thinking has originated. And then also where it has then sparked other practitioners to really reflect on this concept to ultimately engage and um, respond to some of the needs that their pupils were presenting with that perhaps didn't originate before the pandemic. So I'm going to ask you to to partake in something with me here. And obviously, if you are listening to this podcast while walking or running, then please don't do what I'm going to advocate. But if you are in a nice safe space um, and you're able to close your eyes, I'd like you to just close your eyes for me and just listen to what I'm going to share with you. So I want you to imagine a classroom in a school that bombards you from every angle with new and changing sensory information that you just can't process. Think about the change in desk layout. Think about the coloured tape that perhaps directs where you can and can't walk. Think about the smells of disinfectant and hand sanitizer. The verbal rules that determine if you can socialise with your friends at break or lunch times who fall outside of your class or your form bubble. The sounds of anxious chatter from fellow pupils about what actually is COVID? What does being in a pandemic mean? And, well, will my school close again? The constant thoughts about what you experienced during lockdown, but perhaps not necessarily having the confidence or ability to verbalise these thoughts. The worry of passing COVID on to elderly relatives, perhaps having to take on additional care responsibilities for younger siblings, or even catching the virus yourself. Or actually, if home hasn't been a safe space for you, the thought that school may close once again to you and you find yourselves locked in as opposed to locked down. So just take a moment, if you have to, open your eyes again for me. And I want you to imagine that all of that's going on as a pupil, you are trying to then have to concentrate, focus, remain engaged, and follow instructions from your teacher. It can seem a real challenge, can't it? And I want you to just think about those particular sensory needs and the sensory processing that actually, you know, uh, I imagine quite a majority of our pupils are having to adjust to. We're at a point, aren't we colleagues, where school does not look or feel like school. And this hopefully is something, as I'm going to explore with you, that could be a way of ensuring that our young people are able to find themselves in a space or take themselves to do an activity that helps them feel a bit more safe, secure and be able to self-pace and regulate some of the emotions that they may be experiencing. And my ideas really have pulled very strongly from that recovery curriculum think piece. And in particular, the levers that are referenced in that piece. So again, for me, if we look at the levers four and five, and the levers are very much recognising that schools do some of these wonderful things already. They look at, you know, existing relationships, developing relationships between the community and their, their young people. For me, for sports sanctuaries, it really drew heavily on lever four, which was metacognition, and lever five, which is looking at space. And the reason it resonated so much in terms of almost being able to respond or provide some sort of support or guidance for schools when looking at Lever 4 and 5 is twofold. If we take metacognition in the first instance, we recognise that our pupils have been learning in very different environments over this time. You know, I've heard from young people that have actually thrived over this time because they've been able to work at home without feeling embarrassed or being able to interact with teachers that they can control in an area that has felt safe for them. And actually, they've thrived because they've been able to take breaks and actually self-pace their learning. So actually, if they needed a break from the online learning experience, they could go and quickly have one and then return or they could pause and then come back to it. I wonder what school life is now looking like for those young people where perhaps that is now out of their control as they've returned back to a busy classroom environment. We may have young people in our schools who again have thrived because they were in smaller class sizes. So again, you know, if I think about my own children's school, some children are in school in a class of eight. I wonder how now behaviours have perhaps started to manifest itself as perhaps the other two, 22 children have returned to that busier classroom environment. And then for the second point in terms of lever five and space, again, really thinking about how we are empowering or equipping our young people to rediscover themselves and to actually find their voice in terms of learning around this issue. And I'm going to share with you in a moment some real, I think for me, a a strong explicit element of the role of sports sanctuaries is co-designing and co-producing with young people themselves. So if we take a moment, colleagues, to think about the fact that as our pupils are adjusting back into school life, knowing they've all had these unique lived in experiences, how can we really look in terms of the schools to encourage our young people to be active, to get outdoors, to reconnect with one another and themselves and ultimately rebuild that learning confidence um, for our young people? And as I've said, that co-construction of a sanctuary within a school between the pupil, the practitioner or the pupil educator, what are the effective strategies that can really look at um, perhaps activities or the sensory environment around them to help design something that's appropriate and meet their needs? Because actually what we will end up with, and I'm sure what we're all about, is actually happier, healthier young people who are engaged and ready to learn in our classrooms. And again, quite recently speaking to a head teacher, um, one of the things he was, he was telling me quite strongly was this is a real unique opportunity for us to reset and rebuild. What are the things we want to rebuild because we know that they worked well for our pupils? But actually, how is this a really unique opportunity to perhaps reset what we had and really think about using some of these innovative um, ideas or approaches to test some new strategies with our pupils? So let's start to reflect on that word sanctuary. So I've started to introduce the, the concept of sport sanctuaries, but what does it actually mean? So again, just by listening to this particular um, podcast, just take a moment to reflect on what does the word sanctuary mean to you? I think that's quite an important question. Just set the scene because actually a sanctuary can, might mean different things to different people. And again, I've asked this question quite a lot across the schools that I have been working with. And again, some wonderful words that have come from practitioners themselves, you know, safe haven, happy, calm, peaceful, safety. And again, when we think about um, if we look at the Oxford Dictionary, for example, the definition of a sanctuary in there is safe space. So again, thinking about where are the safe spaces, colleagues, in our schools? Where are those areas where perhaps a young person may feel that they can access or they can retreat to at a time where they may need it most? So, again, just start to think about perhaps not only what that word means to you, but perhaps also if we asked our young people, what does that word sanctuary mean to you? Where is your sanctuary? What would our pupils say to us? Because to me, that is such a critical part of the concept of sports sanctuaries. I'm a very firm believer in that that wonderful phrase, you know, nothing about us, without us, we should be co-designing, co-producing with our young people. And our young people should be the architects of our sports sanctuaries, not simply the recipients. And within the SEND code of practice, we know, don't we, that co-production is advocated. The principles are embedded in the Children and Families Act really drawing on the importance of collaboration, understanding the strengths and needs of our young people. So let's really reflect on how we uncover and understand from our young people their experiences during this time, but also what we can be putting in place for them to help support their needs as they continue through their education journey. And I've kind of got at the moment, and this is a really evolving concept, this is very much a working definition of a sports sanctuary. Now, it can be a space or a place. So we've just started to talk about the physical environment that we may find our sanctuary in. But actually, it could also be an activity. It could be something that is using um, physical movement as a way of calming, replenishing or awakening our senses. Because if we think, colleagues, where we may have schools where practitioners have shared with me, young people maybe bust in. They might be on a bus journey for a good half an hour, 45 minutes, if not longer, to go into school. So that child has already sat for quite a considerable amount of time. They've then gone into school, but perhaps then are straight away sat at their desk. Is that going to give them the best engagement that they could have as part of their learning experience? Or actually, is there a way of accessing? Um, a short burst of a sports sanctuary to help awaken their senses, to get their bodies moving and actually feel alert and ready um, for the day ahead. Or it might indeed be um, colleagues a way of supporting the child who perhaps suddenly feels very overwhelmed by all the sensory experiences that they are finding themselves in. Now, wouldn't it be better if a young person could go and access that sports sanctuary as a way of calming those behaviours and helping instill more positive um, well-being experiences as opposed to potentially exhibiting quite negative behaviours in a classroom because they just haven't got the, the words or the um, ideas in terms of how they can help manage that in a more positive way. And I'm going to share with you shortly just a couple of ways of how schools have started to explore this concept with their pupils. And as I've mentioned, this all very much for me links into that sensory processing for an individual and a young person. And certainly there's been a significant part of my role working with schools where we've really started to explore the sensory environment as much as the physical. So again, for our classroom teachers, you know, have we done an audit of um, the sensory environment that we find ourselves in? What are the sorts of sites smells, textures, what can young people see in our classrooms? And again, when I'm working directly with the PE profession, again, thinking about that from either an outdoors or a sports hall perspective, but also the actual activity itself. So again, as part of the Youth Sport Trust, um, I guess, resources and, and package of support around this, we've got blank templates for sensory audits to help practitioners go through this process. But actually, wouldn't it be wonderful if our practitioners did that with our young people themselves Actually, to undertake some of those sensory experiences that our young people are able to share with us? And only on, I think it was two weeks ago now, the 13th of May, Ofsted published some research that very much looked at environmental support that schools are offering. So what are the environmental strategies that can be used to ensure a fully inclusive experience? so is there somewhere a young person can go if they need to feel that kind of sense of relax and calmness or is there somewhere that just a young person would know that it's there if they need it because sometimes that's enough we're so just thinking about the environments that we find ourselves in so how could this idea this concept start to support our young people in schools well, what we do know is that if we are looking to learn a new skill or a new activity, and this is where I am absolutely not professing to be anywhere near the, um, having the expertise that I know Professor Barry Carpenter will have on this. But what we do know is when new skills are learned, it can help create new neural pathways in the brain. And actually what's so wonderful, when that actually starts to happen, it can kickstart some of the older pathways. And suddenly we've got this wonderful brain that is engaged and ready to learn. So one of the things that we are asking, and it comes under the active recovery concept, certainly for our teachers, is what are you planning to teach? Not only in the remainder of this academic year, but going forward. And actually, why are you planning to teach what you are going to do? So again, just something maybe to reflect on as a practitioner and for me as well really thinking about how we can use these skills these physical activities as almost that element of a sanctuary to support young people because wouldn't it be wonderful if the young person that was struggling that was feeling overwhelmed in a maths lesson perhaps instead of sitting there either exhibiting negative behaviours or you know sitting there calmly and quietly but actually not engaged at all in the lesson Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a way of being able to signal to that teacher in front of them, say, I just need a couple of moments and actually being able to either step out to a physical space in terms of that sanctuary or even going outside um, and doing perhaps a walk. We've heard of a walk or a lap of the the school field or we've heard of wonderful corridors. And you're going to see some examples shortly where the child can do something linked to physical activity that stimulate those neural pathways again and come back in ready and engaged to learn wouldn't that be a wonderful way to look at that engagement piece and indeed in some of my go- my more global research around this particular area you know Finnish school children for example so schools in Finland they receive an outdoor 15 minute break every single hour when I wonder what that starts to look like in terms of their sanctuary and actually that engagement within lessons and what has been so wonderful this week, colleagues, as we're recording this near the end of May, is there's been some fantastic longitudinal research published from the University of Cambridge, which could not align more closely to the concept of a sports sanctuary. So some of the evidence that is coming out, and I've taken a quote from this research, is, so this is all linked to young people, those who do more physical activity are likely to have stronger self-regulation. So that's the ability to keep themselves in check but also find it easier to control emotions at an earlier age. And what is wonderful is that that also highlights that physical activities which promote self-control in this way, such as swimming or even ball sports, can have a positive knock-on effect for academic attainment. So again, the link will be on the slides that accompany this podcast, should you wish to have a look at that fantastic, very current and relevant research that again, I think our schools will really um, embrace having, having considered those. But what we also know, and this to me is absolutely at the heart of this, is what young people themselves are telling us. So again, where we have looked at this approach around introducing the concept of a sports sanctuary, really encouraging our young people to reflect on where their sanctuary is, as I say, if it's a place or an activity. So young people themselves are sharing with us that they feel They feel understood, they feel that they belong. Isn't that wonderful in terms of that sense of belonging, that community? Again, this is equipping young people to feel that they belong, they have somewhere that they can be themselves. They feel known so they can reveal some of their interests. You're able to share, well, this is my safe space. This is my sanctuary. This is what instills a sense of calm for me. But also I feel valued. Again, that voice is being heard from young people. And colleagues, when I say voice, I mean that in the widest sense of the word, because I've also engaged and listened to young people who are even nonverbal, who are able to communicate through different ways to share their experiences in terms of this particular approach. So how could we, and certainly for listeners in terms of if this is something that is really resonating with you, perhaps is sparking some thoughts or ideas, how can you maybe start that in your own schools? Again, schools that have started to test this have shared this with us. So again, this is very much being shared by schools to hopefully equip and support other schools across the sector. Well, first off, we can make our young people aware, can't we? We can help pupils to identify what their sanctuary is. So is it a place or a space? Is it an activity? Is it a feeling? And that's really important, colleagues, because, again, some of the young people that I've engaged with over this time have introduced the concept of almost a portable sports sanctuary. So again something that they can take anywhere and again wouldn't that be wonderful that we are equipping young people at times where perhaps it all just gets a little bit too much a bit overwhelming doesn't matter where they are but they can look at that self-regulation again being able to take themselves whether that's an activity they can do anywhere or within their mind in terms of the feelings that that's instilled for them and there's a wonderful example of a young man down in Kent who shared a particular skill in rugby and he's 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 clearly stated to us that in times of pressure, particularly around this period where he was in year 11, so lots of things going on around um, uh, gradings and all sorts in terms of education, there was particular skill in rugby that he could almost visualise and actually instilled a sense of calm in him. For me, that's his portable sports sanctuary. What we also need to do is make sure that young people get the opportunity to practise taking themselves either to a sports sanctuary or a space in school. So actually let's support them with thinking about how they can practice this, actually finding something that does work for them. So we may need to do that with applying that with support. So we need to be able to provide these opportunities for young people, but actually offering them the support that they need in the first instance. Because ultimately what we would love to see, and I'm sure we will all agree, is actually being able to empower our young people to be able to do this independently, to be able to self-pace and self-regulate. Because actually, and this is, I know something that, that Barry, you used very frequently that again has inspired me is, who, who's learning is it anyway? And again, whose sanctuary is this anyway? So let me give you just a few examples of the way that schools have started to adopt this idea. So there's a wonderful special school in Northern Ireland, Riverside School, who have started to explore this concept and actually have taken it even further and developed and designed sensory sanctuaries so what they stay to, to look at is a sports sanctuary that's outside. And again, one that has for them green space, um, trees, sounds of nature, but individual and group activities as well to help young people learn new skills. And then their sensory sanctuary is one that's around calmness and an area inside of school. So again, some wonderful development and thinking going on um, through there. We've got Claremont Specialist Sports College, which is up in the Wirral in Merseyside. And again, what they've chosen to do is provide their young people with a whole menu of activities that are all linked to the senses, all designed in short five minute bursts and actually are chosen by the pupils, self-led, that stimulate either our vestibular or proprioceptive senses. So that might be colleagues going on a rowing machine for five minutes. That might be dribbling a basketball. That might be kicking a football or throwing beanbags into a target. Something that, again, is just supporting their sense of well-being and being, again, able to be transferred back so young people are ready and engaged to learn. And then a mainstream secondary school, Baxter College in Worcestershire, who really started to explore the concept of astro-time, as they call it, at lunchtimes. It's a space for pupils to be physically active outdoors. But again, what it's providing is the ability between teacher and young people to continue to rebuild and reestablish that trust element. So again, the relationships that can start to be created and again, explored in a safe space where young people are feeling more relaxed, engaged and perhaps able to share some of their thoughts and feelings that might not be so um, available or easy to do in a class based environment. And two further examples. And for those following with the slides, just two visual examples for you. On the left hand side of this slide, there is a just an area of space around the school. So this is Slated Row in Milton Keynes. So, again, just thinking about those spaces in school that perhaps we're not maximising enough that could really help with this idea of a sport sanctuary. So again, what sorts of things might encourage movement, whether that be um, jumping across things, as you can see on the image here, leaping, moving, slaloming in between cones. But also thinking about our corridors indoors. So when pupils are transitioning between classes, actually, again, there's some wonderful examples of sensory corridors. So again, a young person might go and do a whole lap of a corridor or actually could stand out of a classroom, do a particular activity along that corridor just for a few moments and then come back into lesson. And then there's some fantastic examples that are coming through as well from alternative provision settings. So to share an example from Lawnswood Campus, a pupil referral unit in Wolverhampton. Again, this individual that they focused on, they really started to explore the concept of a sports sanctuary. So let's just hear from Kieran in terms of a young man who struggled to concentrate in lessons. And actually when he ended up feeling anxious, he felt so closed up that he'd either kick off Or he'd walk out the classroom. Well, actually, colleagues, what would a sports sanctuary be able to do for somebody like Kieran in terms of helping with that self-regulation of emotions? And the photograph underneath is Kieran in action. They now have a designated space in school um, that's linked to the sport of boxing. Again, a young person's choice. Pad work really helps that young man control some of those emotions. And he knows at any moment, if he needs to, he can go and just do a couple of moments on the pads and come back in into a lesson. And to close this session um, with you, just to share as well, um, clearly we're at a time where parents and carers have never been more invested in their children's education than they are right now. So again, it's been really interesting as part of Youth Sport Trust, we we worked with um, YouGov to look at a survey around what parent and carer priorities are at this moment in time and I think this again just helps kind of bring this all together when we look at this concept. Because actually what research has indicated is that the most important factor for parents when deciding on a secondary school was around the well-being of pupils. And actually for a primary school, yes it was second but only because it was behind location. So again it's incredibly important for parents and carers when they are selecting schools actually that well-being is seen very firmly within um, the heart of that school. And again, parents and carers sharing they'd like more information on what schools are doing to support well-being. So again, just reflecting on wouldn't it be wonderful as part of this overall well-being strategy or approach within a school, that we actually look at bringing in these concepts of a sports sanctuary to show that we are being very intentional and mindful with a whole array of interventions and approaches in terms of best meeting the needs of our pupils, our children and young people, at a time when they need it more than ever. Thank you so much for listening to that. I hope it's resonated. I hope it's inspired some thoughts and I'm now going to pass back over to Barry.
1: Thank you, Vicky, so much for that really thoughtful and beautifully crafted uh, presentation. Um, you've certainly provided us with huge amounts of uh, stimulus material to, to think on. and. The juxtaposition of your piece is so refreshing because it's all about being in this moment. You know, as teachers in whatever subject or whatever age phase, we're knee deep in curriculum. We've got a lot of history, but we've never lived through a pandemic before. And there are consequences to this pandemic. That means that the education of our children needs to be responsive to their needs profile that has emerged and is emerging as a result of this pandemic. So what you're suggesting here, both with the active recovery hub and also the um, sports and sensory sanctuaries is in this moment responsive to children at this point in time. I mean, I think they will all be legacy pieces, but even if they're not, they have fulfilled something for which we've no other materials that are truly designed to be now. And, uh, I think Youth Sports Trust is to be commended for the initiative it's taken, and the many organisations, I think there's some 40-plus, signed up to Active Recovery, need to be applauded for joining in and putting the needs of our children first, foremost, uh, and central in, in all of this. Perhaps just a, a, a couple of um, reflections with you, if I may. Um, it was interesting when you got to, I think it was about slide 15, and you put up the five levers and you picked out... Um, space and metacognition to talk about. Um, for me, and, and you then certainly came to it, the third one on transparent curriculum is about the co-construction, co-creation, co-production of, of um, any learning experience with children. And I think you echoed that in what you said then about the sports sanctuary. I think you said something like reset and rebuild um, the children. I, I wonder if you'd any more thoughts uh, around how schools might truly engage in, in pupil student voice in that co-construction process.
2: Yes I mean one, one of the things certainly from liaising with schools has been to really reflect on making sure we have a range of voices and reflecting on um, a real range of young people so again certainly with some of the work that I've been involved in it. Might be yes, you might have a school council, or you might think I am doing some student voice. I'm liaising with some pupils, but actually, really think about the diversity and ensuring that council is representative of your student population is really incredibly important. And again, just thinking about the different ways, then as well, you you ask those questions and you get those responses. So, some of the most effective ways that I've certainly seen is more visual communication aids. So, for example um emoji cards because actually a lot of our young people will communicate with emojis as opposed to words and they find it easier to associate a um emoji expression to sum up how they're feeling at that moment in time than they would to be able to find the words and we've heard some wonderful examples of of schools where actually by providing a whole array of different ways to communicate with our young people it's suddenly can unearth lots and lots of valuable insight that then as schools you can act upon and i think that's really important we we need to listen to student voice, but actually we also need to be shown that we're acting on it as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I thought, too, when you were talking about that reset and rebuild, um, for me, I connected it with something that The Times announced this week, which is they've set up a commission full of the great and good, um, but really good people in terms of their insights in education. Um, to actually review what education should be about now in a post-pandemic world, which we are hopefully moving towards. And I was taken, Vicky, knowing that you were going to be recording this today, the number of people that are going on that panel that mentioned physical, either physical resilience or physical wellbeing or physical activity in their goals for joining that commission and their aspirations for that commission. And, and I thought, golly, there's a growing centrality of the physical towards the, the, uh, the, the new curriculum framework that they, they will propose. I mean, they're not government and they're not DFE, but they are certainly influential uh, people. And I, I just wondered if if you were on that commission, what would you be pushing for as to the place of um, the legacy of, of uh, active recovery and the contribution of physical in the structure of a curriculum, realising we do need to do other things as well?
2: Well, that's a a wonderful question. I think for me it would be ensuring that we are encouraging that physical movement throughout a school day. So we are not just seeing this in a particular lesson or seeing it as a bolt-on. It's absolutely embedded within. And when we think about our engagement in our broader subjects in school and I reflect on my own children's experiences, you know, to be able to have a quick five-minute, Nudge up or a nudge break or a buzz break, something that is just demonstrating to our children and young people the importance of staying physically well as well as mentally and emotionally well, but actually, as well, to ensure that children and young people see this as something that can be fun and enjoyable. And actually, I'm a genuine believer in the fact there is something for everybody. And sometimes our children perhaps don't know what that is yet. But actually, for me, the role of the school is to provide that range of wonderful opportunities so our young people can get that and keep it with them for life
1: sure absolutely and I I think that wonderful new research you presented from Cambridge University absolutely that that is a gift isn't it it's so timely but I think that links into very much what you were saying and what this commission is saying and uh, um, if you get chance to look at the names on the commission if you know any of them make sure they're aware of that research and indeed of your own work in this area, because I think you, you are going to, the Youth Sports Trust is going to strengthen the evidence base for physical activity, not pigeonholed as physical education, but physical activity as a key component to promoting positive mental health. And and finally, the point for me would be, and thank you for picking up on the Neural Pathways, absolutely, we need to have a greater understanding of of how the brain is working in all of this. And you know that from some recent research I've finished, I discovered that uh, in a classroom-based study that it was actually those activities that had an imitation component to them that were the most successful, the most retained by the children, the most transferred to the classroom, the most generalized to um, other settings. And it, obviously, children are coming back now and linking to what you said about Ofsted and the lack of stamina, the lack of resilience and so on. Again, picking up your word, rebuild. And I just wondered if, as, as an experienced PE teacher, what would come to the top of your head about activities, physical activities that would Im- embed imitation, but also enable us to scaffold children's learning again? Because I think too many of us are assuming that children will pick up where they left off. And in fact, again, using an Ofsted word, there has most definitely been regression. So just give us some tips of where should we go to? What should we do?
2: Oh, um, I think for me, it's really looking at how we help rebuild children and young people's confidence and competence as yes. well within our, our subject and, and the role of sport. So again, perhaps revisiting or going back to you know, quite um, basic level of skills So just help with that confidence piece. And thinking about actually individual before then going to paired work, before then going to group work. So again, just thinking about that confidence piece. We've heard lots of pupils, you know, even some of our pupils who are really engaged in, say, team sports, they haven't been able to access that for so long. Mm -hmm. To suddenly kind of catapult them back into that experience will not be a positive experience for that Mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. So being very reflective, coming back to those skills, really using it as a chance to rebuild that confidence that competence and doing it in a way with the young person um, and asking them how they'd like to approach those as well would be would be my advice
1: absolutely you, you've been very student pupil centered throughout this presentation vicky and, and that in itself is is very refreshing to hear so it just remains for me to thank you so much for presenting to us today and um, for helping us to make this podcast uh, and to everyone listening You have been listening to another In the Learning Shared series from Evidence for Learning. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you for listening. The homepage for the podcast is www.learningshared.org. Barry Carpenter's webpage is www.barrycarpentereducation.com and you can email us at learningshared at theteachcloud.net or tweet us at underscore learningshared don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and please do get in touch with feedback if you'd like to either suggest a topic for a future episode or if you'd like to be involved in any way. Finally, you're welcome to join the conversation via one of our online communities of practice. We've got groups on Facebook and LinkedIn and details are on the learning shared web pages. So for now, thanks again for listening. Stay safe and be well.